Welcome to the Mission Matters podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. For a moment about the birth of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was born in the nondescript town of Bethlehem to parents who were unknown to the local community, nothing appeared out of the ordinary. And yet, we know now that something extraordinary was happening, something that changed the course of human history. Jesus was born, the Son of God entered into our world to live among us. Keep listening to find something like that hidden gem of Christmas in this interview with Diego Abente, the CEO and president of Casa de Salud. So welcome back. I am Virginia Herbers in the Office of Mission, and I am pleased to join to our podcast today, uh, Mr. Diego Abente, who is the president and CEO of Casa de Salud, right there near our South Campus setting. So welcome to Mission Matters, Diego. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to have this conversation. Let's start off just by you telling us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about CASA. What's your background? How did you come to be at CASA? Uh, And also, what exactly are the ministries that happen? I guess I'd start by saying I took the long road to CASA and I've enjoyed every bit of it. But, you know, my story really starts in South America in a country called Paraguay, which is really in the heart of South America. And... I was very young when my parents were forced to flee that country because there was a very violent dictator who was putting their lives and now their newborn's life in jeopardy. And so they made a very hard decision to move far away from their natural home. And at the same time, the United States graciously opened their doors to my family. And so I grew up in the United States learning from my parents what opportunity could look like and being encouraged by them to really compare my upbringing here in the U.S., the opportunities that were made available to me and my brothers, to those of my family who had stayed back in Paraguay. And it really was formative. Obviously, at the time, I wasn't quite grasping how formative, but it led me to a a career in nonprofit work in helping others. And so from a very young age, I think the ministry of, of helping others, helping those in need of paving a path so that those who follow in our footsteps do not face all the same challenges that we have is, is something that's been really ingrained in, in who I am and, and how I carry myself. And it fills me with immense gratitude to be able to do that. I have to say it's, it's a labor of love. It's a passion now. And so growing up, I, you know, I, I was able to go back to Paraguay and I worked there in the space of transparency and accountability and helping the country really develop what at the time in the mid 90s was a a brand new democracy. And I had the opportunity of growing up in the United States in a very mature democracy. And so I brought that experience uh, to Paraguay and was able to, to sort of give back to my home country and do a little bit for them. I then went to Africa and spent some time working on a malaria prevention and mitigation project. And I think that's where I really um, began to grow this understanding of how fundamental good health is to everything else and one's uh, life. And so then when I came back to the States, I spent some time in Washington, D.C., and then came to St. Louis 
to take a job with the International Institute of St. Louis, which works with refugees and immigrants. And I, in particular, work in the economic development space. So I was helping immigrants and refugees start and strengthen their business. So I was watching how this support that we can provide folks who are newer to our community really grow the diversity and the strength of the region as a mechanism for attracting more folks and as a mechanism for retaining people because they really enjoy the communities that they are part of. And then when the job at Casa de Salud came available, I, you know, it was sort of the timing was perfect because I was wanting to reconnect with my Hispanic Latino roots. I was uh, looking to do something new and exciting and, you know, to be able to reconnect with that formative moment in my life when I realized how important and how centering good health is and everything else that we do as members of this community, you know, really all were encompassed in the opportunity to come to CASA. And so I came here extremely excited to be able to continue contributing to creating a welcoming and inclusive region, but also do it from a perspective where I could reconnect with my Latino roots and really help people in that foundational need to be able to feel like they can take on the day and take on the many challenges in their lives in a way that they feel healthy and, and well and productive. Helping people thrive. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about what actually happens at CASA and who benefits from CASA and specifically also how is CASA related to SLU? Yeah, so all great questions and, and very much a story that I think is worth telling. CASA emerged, the, the concept, the idea of CASA emerges from a clinic on Cherokee Street that was serving Latinos, which wasn't able to grow sustainably. And some folks who were related to the work that SLU does were involved in this clinic, and they were just heartbroken when the clinic wasn't able to, to continue operating. And so they began having meetings and, and asking, what can we do to learn from you know, the, the mistakes that this clinic has encountered and to bring together and bring to the table the resources needed to create something new and better that could potentially be there for the community for the long haul. And so CASA was born of these ideas. And, and one of the things that was critical and that this group of folks, um, uh, in particular, our founder, Bob Fox, was clear on is that we needed a foundational partner that could really help stabilize the organization. And so being a graduate of, of St. Louis University, Bob talked to a lot of the folks that he knew at the university and, and they began to think about locations. And so the location where we are here on the corner of Shoto and Compton is a St. Louis University property that at the time wasn't being used. And so uh, the folks at the university said, this is a property that we can uh, make available to this initiative if you're interested. And so one thing led to another. And you know, in 2010, Casa de Salud, which was at the time just a, a healthcare clinic, opened on this site, which I am told, because I'm much newer to the organization than 2010, I'm told this used to be an old mechanics garage. Uh, so they repurposed it. A lot of work went into it, a labor of love. And we have grown the services that we provide as a nonprofit organization every year since inception. And I think it's important to mention because it really speaks to the need in the community, which isn't always broadcast and advertised, but through meticulous work and through the trust that we have built with the community, we've really created a service that hasn't really even come close to tapping the potential that it could have in the community in terms of helping people get well and be productive. And we've grown intentionally every year since 2010. Because of our history, we want to be careful about sustainability. We want to be, be sure that what we provide, what we offer to these patients is something that will be there for them as long as they may need it. 
So in 2015, we took our first significant step in, in expanding services. And what we realized is that when folks came to CASA to seek out healthcare, or to ask for support in feeling better, we were able to provide them that first connection and, and do some sort of primary care. But oftentimes they required more specialized care and continuity of care. And so then they were asked to move into the wider healthcare space. And that transition wasn't as logical and as quick as we thought it would be. And so folks kind of got lost between having received services at CASA and then moving on to the wider healthcare space. So as I mentioned before, in 2015, we took that first intentional step to expand our services by creating what we call our guides case management program. Uh, Guides comes from the Spanish word guía. And the idea is that these folks would help sort of navigate patients from the minute they come through the doors at CASA and receive care through us and with us, all the way through obtaining and understanding the relationships that happen in the wider healthcare space. And I think that's also really important because being an immigrant myself and having spent a lot of time in Paraguay, I can tell you that the sort of standard of care and the relationship that a Paraguayan has with their uh, doctors and physicians is very different than the one that we have here in the United States. And having someone who understands those two different worlds and creates a bridge between those two cultures is extremely important to the success and the wellness of the people that we want to serve. We expanded on that growth in 2018, again, listening to our patients and clients and trying to be responsive to their needs by founding the Mental Health Collaborative. And again, there, St. Louis University stepped up and helped us repurpose the building that's right next to our current clinic and created a a really sort of -of state-of-the-art space where folks could come and receive behavioral health. And that's very important because, again, from our cultural perspective, in the Hispanic community for sure, and in other communities, mental health is very taboo. And I I share this with people a lot because I think it's, to, to me, it sort of frames the challenge. I have more words to express my mental health care needs in English than I do in Spanish. And it's not because I'm a better speaker in English than I am in Spanish. I often still think in Spanish. It's because it's so taboo. And so the Mental Health Care Collaborative acknowledges those challenges, which pre-exist in the community, addresses those challenges, and then invites folks into the organization to seek out support and to improve their behavioral health. And, and that was our second and most significant expansion of the services that we provide in the community. Okay. So if the first building of CASA was an old mechanics garage, do you know what the original purpose of your second building was? It's very interesting. I have been told that it was a, they were storage garages where at one time the university kept its Christmas lights and other accessories. And so that was repurposed into a state-of-the-art mental health collaborative workspace. So I have to tell you, I find those two things absolutely delightful. That what once was an arena for people to bring their vehicles to get healthy now is an arena for people to come and learn how to navigate the health system (laughs) in a healthy way. I mean, I I love that. I never made that connection. That's incredible. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah. I love that history. So Christmas, right? And maybe this is a little artificial, but a place that stored all the materials that help us celebrate the life that the birth of Jesus brought into being now as the place where people come to be renewed in their own mental health and their own mental life. 
That's for their beautiful. own healthy way of living. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that full circle goes back to the commitment that SLU through its mission of helping those in needs and through really being men and women for others happens. These, these collaborations happen because we have that mindset and because we are constantly and consistently thinking about how to use the privileges that we have to make life better for the people that we commune with. And, and so I don't think that CASA would have been the success that it is today had our foundational partner not been St. Louis University, because we align so closely in the mission that CASA has of creating access to healthcare, both clinical and behavioral, to those who are facing barriers due to culture and language, and really understanding that those are really complex and nuanced challenges that you need to provide long-term support for, and that we all as a community benefit each time an individual in our community gets better. Right. So that's a perfect segue into how to strengthen this relationship between CASA and SLU, because it's, it's already there. I'm taken a little bit by your own personal story and your own personal history and the struggle that got you to this country in the first place with your family. And then the reality that it is our personal histories that bring us to value and to prioritize the things that we do. So the mission of SLU is to be men and women for and with others and to always strive for that higher purpose and greatest good. So how can the SLU community who is listening here be of service or what opportunities might be available? I like to say that what makes the magic happen at CASA emerges from this foundational partnership with St. Louis University and being men and women for others. And the way that it plays out on a day-to-day basis is that we, CASA, our staff, bring that lived experience from the immigrant and refugee journey. We are linguistically and culturally sensitive and competent, if you will. And we invite those who are experts in their chosen field and expertise to come to CASA and to collaborate with us to create these opportunities for folks to be well. So all of the doctors and other licensed professionals who provide services at CASA are volunteers. And one great way to get involved at CASA is to offer of one's time and expertise. And again, enter in a partnership with the experiences, the lived experiences that our staff have in order to create the beautiful magic of helping someone be better. It's a very simple concept, but it is tremendously powerful in the community. And we've seen that happen throughout the history at CASA. It's helped us grow every single year since our inception. And so the more folks that step up and and offer of their time and volunteer, the more work we can do. So anybody who is related to the university, currently at the university or teaching at the university or providing services to the university can become a volunteer. We have licensed and medically licensed professionals such as doctors, nurses, assistants, uh, registered nurses that are volunteering. We have folks who are providing volunteer interpretation services. We have scribes uh, and other volunteers who are helping us with data management. So really, we try to offer a pretty broad menu of opportunities for folks to bring whatever expertise they might have or passion they may have to sort of leverage the mission and reach more people or reach more people in more significant ways. Absolutely. So you don't have a limited set of skills that you're looking for. It's pretty broad. Absolutely. We try to recognize that St. Louis has a lot of great skill and that we really meet patients where they are in community. And in community, life is complex and things are connected. 
And so we try to recognize that in the way that we provide services. And though we have, for example, an expertise in providing clinical care, when patients need housing support or employment assistance, we have avenues for referrals. That's where the case managers step in and really provide that sort of walking side-by-side support to get folks connected. And in the same way, if we can expand our volunteer pool, then we can also broaden the number of services we provide here on our site. Very good. Well, let's hope that folks who are listening to this are keeping this tucked in the back of their mind, even if as professors or administrators, they might not be able to give their time. I'm thinking student interns. I'm thinking just a whole variety of different possibilities here for people to connect with you. I will say that what I've heard from volunteers is that, you know, some of them come in not really knowing what to expect, and that's not unexpected, I guess. But all of them leave having felt like they've made a difference and having really valued and enjoyed their time because they get that opportunity to really feel the effects of their volunteer work. They see directly the benefit that they are helping to create in the community. And that's something that we're proud of and we continue to work to ensure so that volunteers, again, feel like their time is well used. So let me ask you this. How how has your staff, how have your patients all fared during the pandemic? It's been exhausting. I I sort of go back and forth between it's a marathon and it's just a series of endless sprints uh, because we have all experienced this together as community. And for CASA staff, we have also experienced other folks in their challenges and have, you know, really had to think about how we can provide services and support to those folks while taking care of our own mental health and and clinical health in a time that was really scary uh, for, for a period of time there. Um, And so for us, I think what's kept us going, what's kept us motivated is that patients and clients never disengaged with the organization. You know, even when we were social distancing and and really thinking that human interaction would be on pause for quite some time, we utilized telehealth to provide some level of patient engagement. We then created a modality we now call hybrid telehealth, where patients would come to CASA and they could sit down in our, at that point, empty patient rooms and access a laptop with a high-speed internet and really high-quality camera and interact with their provider in that safe and private room. And then we wrapped around that even more services by having on staff a medical assistant who could be there to take vitals and uh, samples if necessary, sort of accelerating that process of finding out what the problem is and how to help people get better. And that was uh, tremendously helpful. And now as we are in Our second iteration of of sort of coming out of the pandemic, we feel very strongly that a lot of what we learned during the pandemic will continue to be a part of how we provide services so that folks will have options and opportunity. Uh, And at the same time, we're really excited because we're going to be able to work with folks in person much more often than we have in the prior 24 months. And that is, at least in the clinical space, the best way to move forward when one has a, you know, a healthcare issue they need to get addressed. And so we're excited about that. And we've seen tremendous response from the community. They want to get back to being healthy. They want to see their providers. And they, like we, I think all, feel there is some sort of time we want to make up. And a great way to start that is by addressing healthcare needs that have been delayed. And in some cases, even for a period of time, abandoned because the pandemic was such a big part of our lives for the last 24 months. As I'm listening to you, I'm imagining the level of creativity and flexibility and commitment and energy that was needed at the front end of this to make all those changes or to use the very common word right now to pivot 
and meet people's needs where they are. I mean, that's impressive. You know, I, I'm starting to get a little reflexive because I arrived at CASA in January of 2020, so about a month and a half before the world changed. And I really didn't get a lot of, a lot of time on site and time to meet the team before we all had to go home. And now it's been two years and my entire experience at CASA has been the experience of responding to the pandemic. And while that's been incredibly fulfilling for the reasons we just discussed, it's also a little bit sad that I didn't get to experience what CASA was prior to the pandemic. And so now as we're emerging, the two themes that I I really think about a lot and we talk a lot about with staff and volunteers and the board here is that we wanna make sure that the investments we made during the pandemic are uh, long-lived. So the opportunities and the flexibility and that creativity that we utilize to be there for our patients during the pandemic, we want that to be part of everything we do moving forward because we've seen that it is an appropriate response and it helps us serve more people more significantly, more intentionally. The other theme that I think we all have to sort of steel ourselves to come to terms with and be at peace with is the idea that ending the pandemic is only the beginning of the healing process. And that is because only then can we start to make up for some of the things that we had to put on pause because the pandemic was such a big part of our lives. And for the folks that we serve who have some very unique challenges, these pauses are even more significant. So part of our challenge now as we enter 2022 is how can we think about expanding services, about being there for more people so that we can work through the folks that have been delaying their care and now have are presenting with more acute conditions and who therefore need more resources while at the same time trying to expand services to the wider community who have already been waiting to receive services in the way that only CASA can provide them with that cultural sensitivity and that linguistic sensitivity. So in many ways daunting, but in many other ways, very, very exciting because we have a lot of great tools. We've got an incredible staff, committed volunteers and a board that is also committed to thinking about what CASA is going to mean to the community moving forward. And this is a great time to really start to drop those those anchors and really solidify CASA's role in the community as a service provider. That is excellent. You know, you came in right before COVID. So try to backtrack yourself back to January of 2020. At that point, if someone had come to you, your staff had come to you and said, we're really kind of toying with the idea of introducing telehealth to our clients. Would your response to that have been as enthusiastic then as it has turned out to be now? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, And I think that in fact, that the reality of it is that we went into it pretty skeptical. We felt like it was the only option and we felt like it wasn't necessarily our choice. It was in response to the community need. And so it wasn't about how we felt about it. It was about what the patient population was asking for. And we were surprised, but we went in and also not just skeptical, but we went in it with the intention of iterating and improving, right? So let's listen and let's create that feedback loop. So as we hear what is and isn't working, we can implement what is working and improve it and expand it. And if something isn't working, then we either try to fix it or we stop doing it. And so I think hybrid telehealth really is a great way to sort of demonstrate what can be possible when you go into these projects. First of all, again, being very responsive and listening to the need of the people you want to serve and understanding you have your own bias, your own opinions, but that's not what the priority is about. And secondly, when you really commit yourself to constant process improvement and you don't sort of set these uh, artificial goals for what you think 
the evolution needs to look like in terms of service provision, you can surprise yourself and you can feel very fulfilled because you get that response from the community that says, thank you for listening. Thank you for you know, changing this in ways that make it significantly better and easier for us to access. And thank you for helping us as a community feel more connected during a time in which it was really hard to feel connected, right? So I think that that's something we take a lot of uh, a pride in and it's really kept us going during you know, some really tough times for all of us. Yeah, that's not just a skill in healthcare, right? I mean, when we Absolutely. enter into something and are skeptical that I'm not so sure about this, you know, this is new, this is not anything that was on our radar before, but the needs are requiring it. So when we're skeptical about anything and then enter in listening and open and responsive, we can be surprised by the results that come afterward. So I think what you're describing as the experience you've had there at CASA is translatable into much larger experiences and much larger realms. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I try to be an eternal optimist and generally I am, but sometimes it's hard. Uh, On a day like today, I feel extremely optimistic talking about CASA, uh, remembering everything that we've been able to do during the pandemic, obviously fills me with immense pride and, and excites me. But I think that for the entire community, the pandemic has been a challenge, but also presents incredible opportunities. And the opportunity is, let's think about what kept us above water during those hardest times. Let's think about all of the great collaborations and support that we we provided each other as individuals and human beings, but also as members of organizations that made it feel less stressful and, and less scary during the worst times. And let's continue to do that in the way that we interact and the way that we partner and the way that we design and provide services, because that is the way forward. And the pandemic has given us that opportunity. I, I don't think we would have been challenged to think in those out of the box ways, had we not been experiencing a once in a lifetime challenge as, as a society. And I, I try to say that often now, as we are emerging from the pandemic, when I'm you know speaking to partners and volunteers and staff, don't lose that feeling and that sense of need of communion and community and of thinking outside of the box to always improve the way that you interact with your community members, because that's what's going to define what we look back and see 10 years from now. And I think that's, that's a defining moment that our region is, we're at that crossroads right now. What are we building today? That's going to be the legacy of the next 10 years that we're going to look back on. And and I hope, and I sincerely believe we're going to be immensely proud of because we've leveraged those lessons learned during the pandemic. I could not agree more, really. And that requires, so Slew's Ignatian spirituality, that requires reflection and then discernment and then decision-making about how to move forward. So you're singing my song. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, that's, that's another thing. I'm constantly surprised, but at the same time, I feel like I shouldn't be. I moved to St. Louis about 10, 12 years ago. I knew it was going to be the right place for me, but I don't think I fully grasp how fulfilling the community can be, how many great organizations and people are part of the region that we call home. I now call home for sure. And I I truly do believe it's a privilege to be surrounded on a daily basis with people who want to give up themselves to help others has been a life-changing moment. 10 years from now, when I talk about the three things that have made me who I am, I talk about my refugee story and coming to the United States, my time in Africa was definitely formative. It was the first time I felt truly alone in the world. And I think that really helped me connect back to my parents and how they felt about, you know, becoming refugees. Coming to St. Louis has been humongous for me because it's where I started my family. It's the place I now call home. I think prior to St. Louis, 
I didn't think I had a home really. I was sort of nomadic and I was okay with that. Uh, and I think the fourth thing that's formative and life-changing is the relationships that I've built and the people and organizations that I've been able to work with that have fulfilled me as a human being and the people that I care about in the community as well. And that's something I think we in the region need to be really proud of and harness that and build upon that as much as we can. Amen to that. So before we wrap this up, what else needs to be said? Well, what have we missed? I think we just need to, to really concentrate on, on the theme of the healing happening as the pandemic subsides. There is still a lot of great, very important work that needs to happen in, in the communities that we at CASA are concerned for, and just generally in the community in St. Louis that we have always really kept in our minds. You think about what's happening with the International Institute and the resettlement of the Afghan community in, into St. Louis, a uh, milestone moment for diversity and inclusion and for building a, a thriving community. And there's a lot of work that still is before us that we have to think about and concentrate on and, and understand that at this point, I think it is a marathon. We have to think very intentionally about all the work that's going to have to go into resetting the balance in our community amongst the folks who have differing levels of privilege so that they can feel like they are again on the same solid ground that they felt that they were on before the pandemic. And I'm excited about it because it's, it's what CASA does. It's our mission, that mission of creating access and, and helping people be better. But we can't do it alone. And that's one of the biggest lessons learned from the pandemic for all of us, CASA in particular. Things, the successes you have are always multiplied by the collaborations and partnerships that you bring in and input into the work that you do. And I, I would sort of ask the community and, and send this sort of as a call to action to continue those partnerships, knowing that there's still a lot of work that we have to do to reset that balance so folks can really feel like they're back where they were before the pandemic started and that they can build from that very solid foundation as productive and healthy members of our community. Coming back stronger. Absolutely. And we've got that opportunity. We've got the resources, we've got the desire, we've got the passion. Our personal missions are aligned with it in this region. Uh, We've got everything we need to create that success. And that's exciting. And I agree with you. And I think we know more now. Maybe we know better the need for that than we did two years ago because it's been forced upon us. You know, the slogan of we're all in this together is not just a nice thing to say. It, this is the fact, the mere fact that this has been a global pandemic. So it brings us back to that reality that we are one. <laughs> we, we are, are only and ever one. And so to build community is not something that is a nice idea. It's constitutive of who we are and what we are called to do. Amen. Well, Diego, thank you so much for giving your time. We are with you uh, in your mission. It is a privilege to be a partner with you as SLU. And I will do my best to get the word out here so that uh, that partnership can be strengthened and built upon. Well, thank you. And, and for, for me, it's, it's a real privilege to be able to share the story of CASA, my own story, and how the two connect. Um, and it's always, it always fills me with energy when I'm able to tell this story because, it's, because I think it's something that is so important to the community. And so thank you for giving me that opportunity to really uh, re-energize by telling that story today. It really is, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. This, these are the things I live for. It's great to tell the story. You know, we do it every day and uh, you kind of normalize it in, in some ways. And to be able to tell an audience about it, someone, folks who have maybe never interacted with it, it right. just fills me with pride and energy and, and just excitement. There's just, there's a lot of good stuff that we can continue to do. And so uh, I've been looking forward to this. Well, I am thrilled. I am absolutely thrilled. So 
Well, again, thank you, Diego. And I do hope I do hope to be collaborators a little bit more strongly than just a one-time off podcast. Likewise, absolutely. Thanks right. so much. Okay. For those of you who are listening, be sure to follow us on social media at SLU Jesuit Mission. And if you know of a colleague who is living the mission out loud, but seems to be hidden in plain sight, contact us in the Office of Mission and Identity so we can highlight the good work that they're doing. Until next time, let's remember, especially in this Ignatian year, we are one SLU where mission matters. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU and you can encounter it randomly, but good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way. God bless everyone.